When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Outside Looking In, the series I've been doing, working our way up to 29 episodes where we get somebody from a market or somebody who pays attention particularly well to a team and get their opinion on the Raptors and then additionally get their opinion on their own team. So at the same time, you get to see kind of a consensus on how the league, people who cover it, see the Raptors. And then additionally, you get to learn about every team in the NBA. And Ariel Pacheco is here to talk about the Knicks, okay? And the Knicks have been very popular lately in the dialogue because the Donovan Mitchell trade just went down. And it was not the Knicks that were involved in it. It was the Cavs. And the Knicks, the same way that some teams come in and out of the popular culture as kind of like meme teams, the Knicks, because it's New York, it captures culture, it captures so much media attention, and when the Knicks are good, it's like this incredible, braggadocious, brash, hell yeah thing that people love to watch. And then when they're bad or things aren't going their way, it's a similar, what is it, the the French, not French, the German term, schadenfreude. So, I don't know how to say it, but it's like, yeah, 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 something like that. It's where you take pleasure in seeing other people's downfall. It seems like a lot of that happens with the Knicks. First thing I want to ask you before we get into it is, Donovan Mitchell, not a Nick. What are your thoughts on that? The trade proposals that were turned down and where it all ended up. I mean, the whole the whole Donovan Mitchell Knicks thing was like a roller coaster because I think from the jump, when you know, once Rudy Gobert got shipped off, I think everybody saw the writing on the wall that Donovan Mitchell was probably next. Um, but yeah, like a lot of if you read any of the reports, if you kept up with the rumors, it was always like, oh, this is the Knicks trade to like kind of lose. If like they're ahead of the pack, um, they have the picks that. You know the Utah Jazz are, are interested in. They have, I think, they had you know their own picks, and they had a plethora of like protected picks that they got from the draft um, when they traded out of their own lottery pick. Um, so yeah, so I think a lot of people were like expecting the Mitchell trade to happen. Um, it kind of stalled through the summer. You know, July and August were kind of very like stale, and we get little updates, but nothing major. And then the bombshell drops. You know, Cleveland swoops in after the last thing we heard from them was that they were out. So a lot of reportings come out in the past day or two. Um, and it's been weird to kind of see the deals that have come up because it seems like the Knicks were offering RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, and then like three unprotected picks to the dismay of a lot of Knicks fans because that's that's a pretty hefty price. Um, and I think some people were willing to give up the picks. I, I don't think the picks were the holdup for at least Knicks fans. I think they were more so concerned with trying to keep as many of the young guys that they could. And I think a lot of people were surprised to see RJ Barrett's name in those trades. Um, me included. I thought, I, I don't think RJ Barrett is untouchable by any means. I think there are certainly deals where you can give up RJ and get really good value back. But I thought in this situation, 
if you're trading for a Donovan Mitchell and you're giving up those kind of assets, you want somebody on the team who at least has the upside to be, you know, maybe a number three option on a title contender. And I think RJ does have that upside, even if he does have a ways to go. So it was surprising to see those names come up. Um, and I think the question now is if you're not making the Donovan, Donovan Mitchell deal, that means you kind of have to go all in on your young guys. I think you have to empower those young guys and give them a shot to really develop. And best case scenario, you hope for the next guy that wants out. Um, there's no obvious candidates right now. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it was kind of a roller coaster to say the least. So that that kind of mirrors your your original commentary on the situation. Post-trade was like, okay, it's the young guys. Let's see what's happening. And just for Raptors fans who wouldn't be that aware of the Quentin Grimes of the world, they would be aware of RJ Barrett, but not nearly as in tune as you are and some of the other people over at the Strickland. Can you walk us through kind of your idea of how this Knicks season might shake out and things you're excited to see? Well, yeah, the, the number one guy I'm most excited about, not that I think he'll be the best of the bunch, but just like my personal favorite is Quentin Grimes. Um, at first glance, you probably just see, a, you know, a pretty like normal state, state kind of normal 3 and D kind of guy. And when you watch a little closer and you dive, deep dive, you see like some playmaking flashes, some passing flashes, um, especially in summer league. He was one of the best uh, guys in summer league, um, especially from the second year guys. Um, but yeah, the shooting is, it's, his jump shot is gorgeous. Um, I'm a big fan. He has one of the most like aesthetically, you know, pleasing jump shots to look at for me in the league. Um, and the defense, especially at the point of attack, um, I've seen him defend Trey Young and give him problems. I've seen him give Luka Doncic problems and stretches. Um, I've seen him block Chris Middleton, turnaround jumpers in the post. Um, he's kind of, he's very steady defensively. Doesn't really make mistakes. Um, he moves his feet really well. And I think he has upside. Um, especially if he continues to improve his ball handling, which it looks like he does. And he started to get to the rim a little more, especially at Summer League. We saw it a lot of it. So if those steps, if those improvements are real, um, I think the Knicks have someone who can be like, I think he's a starter level player already, to be honestly, but I think he can be like above average, um, kind of a higher tier starter level player. Um, as far as other Knicks players, um, Emmanuel Quickly is pretty up there. Um, he has a lot of creation upside. Um, the pull-up shooting is, I guess, his best skill and his kind of his swing skill that, that can elevate him to a higher level. Um, we're kind of waiting on the rim pressure stuff to come along. Hasn't really shown it much until the second half of last season when he started to get more playing time. Um, I do think there's a section of Nick fans that are a little disappointed that he's not getting a chance to start. Um, there are a lot of people who were fine with passing on Brunson and instead going with quickly. Um, but I do think that quickly especially defensively he's small and he looks he looks skinny but he defends well and he, he's a very good communicator on that end and the third guy that I think people are looking out for other than those two is Obi Toppin um he's a, he's an interesting one to me at least because he proved himself to be like a positive NBA player last year which was big and but the thing is he's never really played in a role that I think plays to his strengths um he's always kind of been in the corner spotting up which is not his game at all if, if any of any of the listeners are familiar with his game. In college, he was more of a role man, attacking the basket. Um, he can pass a little bit, but he, ne he never really gets a chance to roll in New York. Um, he's mostly in the corner. But I think this year, um, there's been like little leaks and like little rumors coming out from like New York beat writers that um, Thibodeau had some regrets about not playing him more, especially with Julius Randle's struggles, which I'm sure we'll get into later. 
Um, but yeah, I think those are the main three that people are looking for to kind of take a leap. And depending on where those guys end up at the end of the season is where I think the Knicks kind of shift their their roster building. This gets a little bit more difficult with Donovan Mitchell now in the East, but what do you think the chances are that in the next couple of years, half of the Knicks backcourt ends up being an all-star? You know, because you look at Barrett, and I know that Barrett isn't – a lot of people had ideas about Barrett just being like this full-blown star, especially when he was with Duke. And then you were seeing warts during his early years in New York, and but he's also – He's been developing in a lot of promising ways, but maybe there's um, juice would be the like, maybe the most efficient way to describe it. Like he lacks a little bit of juice. Mm -hmm. And Brunson, I think, has all the makings and trappings of just a really quality guard starter level, but probably won't be able to ascend past the likes of Darius Garland uh, at the point guard position in the East. I'm, I'm curious what you think about that backcourt heading into the future? Well, because they're signed for a long time. Yeah, now. they both just got $100 million yeah. contract, so they'll be here for a while. Um, I think they're both, at their ceilings, they'll be borderline. Um, not at their ceilings, but like I think at their peaks, especially during this contract. I think RJ has more of a chance. And also, I don't know if you want to put this part into it, but the fact that they both play in New York, they're going to get a lot of all-star votes. If they're, <laughs> you know, if they're even close to deserving, they may just get in. But That's if you mean, point. like, based on their merit, like, if they're deserving of it, um, I think they'll both hover around it, especially if New York is able to surprise early season. Um, I think RJ is a little bit more likely because um, I think he can qualify as a wing, too, as well, depending on the voting and things like that and, and for the coaches voting. Um how confident, like if I had to put a confidence level like out of 100% that one of them makes an all-star team in their contracts, I'd feel pretty good about it. I'd probably put it a little above like 60% or something. I, I think one of, I think there'll be a year where one of them can get in. Um, there are people who are a lot higher on RJ Barrett than I am. Um, I don't think he's a bad player at all. I think he's a wing that has some playmaking. I think he needs to improve his touch around the rim. That's the biggest thing. His best skill is that he gets to the rim almost at will. He's a strength-based creator. Um, he's mus out muscles basically everybody. Um, but the touch isn't there. He misses a lot of layups that he should make. Um, from like three to twelve feet, he's one of the worst players in the NBA. And this isn't me like bashing on him. It's just the stats. I'm just putting him out there. Um, but yeah, his touch, his floaters, his floaters need work. Um, but the thing with RJ is that. By all means, he's a hard worker. Um, there are accounts of his work ethic, and he works hard. And if you just look at where he was from his rookie year, he's he's miles better. The jump shot has come along. Um, he used to not be able to shoot. Um, now he's a 40% three-point shooter. Um, you can count on him to hit the shots. Um, but now it's just waiting on the finishing to come. And if it does come, then 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 you got yourself a really good player there. Um, as for the – I think he does – I think there were questions about his contract and does he is he worth that? Um, right now, I don't think he's a $30 million a year, but I think development and in a couple of years, he will be worth it. And especially with the cap rising and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not mad at the contract, especially in New York. You got to keep the you got to keep players who have a chance at even starter level yeah. and above. You got to keep them under contract. And because New York, despite not being able to do it recently, I think there's always that potential that you can shake and move and you can bring a massive name in-house. It's New York. And that hadn't been true, but I, I wouldn't be willing to abandon that ideal either. We'll talk about 
Pascal and and front court guys like Randall and Mitchell Robinson. Uh, we're going to kick the can down the road a little bit, but I just kind of want your broad strokes, flash bulb thoughts on the Raptors because the Raptors are a team that they're not boring. They're they're not the best team in the world, but doing this series, everybody seems to have an opinion on what they're doing there. So I'm curious what yours is. I, I love the Raptors for what, it, for what it's worth. I love the way they're building a roster. I think they're one of the more fun teams to watch on a night-to-night basis. Um, one of my favorite, personal favorites to watch. Um, but overall, I love the 6-8. Just throw a bunch of wings at them, see how they develop on ball skills. I love that. I think it's fun. Um, I do think they might right now. It's kind of hard to develop a lot of those guys at the same time because they have Pascal, they have Scotty. They have OG who wants his touches and wants to develop on ball, I think, as well. And Precious. I think I said Precious already. But regardless, I think those are guys that, like, it's hard to develop all those guys at the same time on ball. Um, the Alcum's made a huge leap from where he was rookie year. Um, he's a completely different player, and he's a top 25-ish, 20-ish player, wherever you want to rank him, in the NBA. I think he's one of the more underappreciated players in the NBA now. Um, there was, like, a year or two there where he was, like, a meme for some reason, uh, which is weird. But he's a very good player, and I think um, watching the Raptors develop those guys has been one of the more fun stories for me watching over the past few years. Um, And I'm excited to see them do the same with Scotty. (laughs) You brought up, so anytime somebody, I've written a lot about Precious's defense, and my coverage of his defense has actually been pretty popular. It's reached different corners of the NBA market as far as like fans or writers, but what a lot of people don't know about Precious is like those weird on-ball skills that are burgeoning and then disappearing and then burgeoning again. So I have to ask you, are you Precious pilled as far as a, a creator? Like what are your thoughts on him having the ball from a standstill and trying to make it move? It's fun. I don't know if it's good yet, but it's fun. I'll tell you that much. Um I don't know. I believe in it. Um, I think if you can just flash those skills, there's something there and it just needs to be developed and it needs more time. Um, sometimes he, he goes a little too crazy with it. And I think, I think I've seen Raptors fans get a little frustrated with that, but I think when you have his size and that kind of skill set, there's something there. And I'm someone who's all about unique kind of unique skill sets in the NBA to kind of thrive. Um, and he has one and I'm all for exploring it and seeing where it ends up. So yeah, I, you, I'm precious pilled. <laughs> you see the vision, man. There was yeah. even as early as like in the playoffs, there are people who prominent people in the Raptors community said it should be illegal for Precious to dribble. But then wow, it immediately harsh. it immediately became very apparent that the limitations of Gary Trent to get to the rim, Fred being injured, not shooting the three ball well, can't get to the rim either. Mm-hmm. Precious as the the final line of offense where it's like side top side. And he he's in the situation where he gets a closeout, put the ball down, and like mm-hmm. he could get to the bucket. There are a couple of times he had, you know, it's not forty-five extended isolations on MB, mm-hmm. like where people can gap him and help. Not that, but sideline isolation against Embiid cooked him. Flashed up in against the zone where Embiid had to step up to cooked him. There's, I don't think of him as a guy you're going to give like pick and roll possessions to or. Uh-huh where last year Pascal led the league in isolations. He actually had more than Luca. I don't see Precious as this isolation hub, like the Raptors kind of try to urge their wings to do. But I do see him as a guy who is going to defend like hell, really talented at it, and may very well, if he's the fourth or fifth option on offense, 
kind of break defense's last line because he's so powerful in those closeout situations. And uh, post-All-Star break, I think it was four catch-and-shoot attempts per game from three, and he hit 40%. So there's a lot of interesting stuff bubbling up for Precious. And I don't know. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the one thing I think people underrate is having five guys on offense who can attack. I think people underrate the ability to, like, attack closeouts. And if Pascal isn't able to get anywhere on this possession, but he swings it to the corner and it's precious and there's seven seconds left and he's able to make something out of nothing, there's value in that. And even if it's a little messy, I think if you can get him to a point where you're confident in his ability to do that, it's definitely worth it. That's Yeah, that's exactly it is. And that's exactly what we saw in the series against the 76ers is that the Raptors with Gary kind of hobbled, Fred hobbled and then missing games. And then Scotty also hobbled. Pascal was in a, you know, he's pushing the boulder up the hill every day. But when the team overloads and he passes his out, if you can't punch through those closeouts, Mm -hmm. then you're just resetting. And if you like, if you can't hit a three or punch through a closeout, you're just resetting the offense. And, if yeah, Precious that defense both, consistently is tough. Yeah, it's 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 really difficult. Defense in the NBA kind of rocks right now. I guess we'll we'll take that opportunity to go towards. You talked about being underrated and becoming a meme. Julius Randle <laughs> is, last year. It's it's basically this. They they the they're they're very. I think Siakam's better. Even in the All NBA year, I thought Siakam was better. That's that's my opinion. I don't like we don't have to debate that. Yeah. But what I do think is that they share a lot of similarities in that they're creators with size who just because of their statistical comps can get queried into like the LeBron James. Oh, it's like LeBron and Randall and Luca and Pascal who do these things. That's odd, but they're clearly at a different efficiency level. And then so. Pascal gets all NBA, has the bubble year. Then Randall has all NBA, then has last year. Randall, I think, is extremely underrated at this point in time. And I wonder what you think, can Randall have the bounce back that Pascal did? And, yeah, I'm curious what you think about that. It's tough with Randall. Randall is, I think, the most polarizing. Like, if you tweet the word Julius Randall right now, you will get attacked just for saying his name. Oh. Julius Randle's tricky, right? Because he's kind of been a different player every single year of his career. Like, if you look back in New Orleans, he was this pick-and-roll big where he just rolled hard every time. Um, First season in New York, he was kind of figuring things out. Second season in New York, he was all NBA, and he was this isolation guy who hit tough shots, and he carried an offensive starting lineup that had Alfred Payton and Lernan Noel, two very negative offensive players. But what happened last season was I think the Knicks and Julius himself, I think they bought into the isolation mid-range jumpers a little too much. I think it was kind of predictable that the numbers would have dropped off a little bit because his shot diet was very difficult. And that was kind of the appeal with the whole Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier signings was that that creation that Kemba didn't end up bringing, but that was thought at the time, was that it would make Julius's life easier easier shots and we won't have to rely on him making these incredible incredibly difficult shots what happened was i think he started to struggle he didn't make those shots and i think he pressed and it just compounded itself into this one huge issue and 
Julius is a guy who is very like passionate and you see it when he plays, he gets frustrated and, and he makes it very evident. And I think it was just a lot of frustration and it boiled over and he had a really, he had a really bad year. And I think if he even has a decent year, the Knicks are probably in the play-in. Um, so kind of projecting what he's going to be this year is very difficult because this that was his third season in New York. And in his three seasons in New York, he's been a different player every single year. Um, I guess the hope is that, you know, with, RJ Barrett taking more offensive um, responsibility, Jalen Brunson coming over, that he can take a little bit of a backseat, kind of settle into the offense more. And I think that Siakam, when comparing Siakam and Randall, they're kind of, they are in the same like kind of tier of like the way you, you described earlier of like being compared to each other. And I think they, especially last year, they were like on polar opposites in terms of their impact. Um, I think Siakam is like, he was one of the best playmakers in the NBA period, especially for wings. And then Julius was, when you consider his volume and efficiency and the turnovers, he was one of the worst, especially considering how much he had the ball in his hands. And I think they were very polar opposites in terms of effectiveness and efficiency and all that. So I definitely think Siakam is the better player. Um, I wouldn't debate at all. But I do think Julius, Julius is ceiling... And he showed it in the All-NBA years that he can be very good and he can carry an offensive group, even with a, a tough shot diet. So I have no idea what to make of Julius Randle right now. Um, I go back and forth with it with myself every day. Um, he is he his play will determine how how good the Knicks are next year, in my opinion. It's he interests me endlessly because it, it does kind of lean into that that ethic you talked about is like. Man, having a bunch of guys who can do a bunch of things is pretty good. And Randall can do a lot of things. It's just ordering that decision-making. Like, what do you want to do? Pay attention to how defenses respond to it. How do you respond in kind? Like, do you get to spots where you're comfortable and you live with the percentages of the shots that come out of it? Do you want to maybe use extra dribbles so that you're able to manipulate more and pay more attention to passing lanes, cutters, et cetera. So you can weaponize passing, or do you want to be able to kind of fade next to somebody else and use your extreme, like extremely useful athleticism and handle as more of a, a tertiary guy. And he's certainly, you know, what his future is. I don't think people will ever be happy as a tertiary guy. This happens with a bunch of people who have one big year is they're like, well, you have to do that year all the time. And then there'll be guys like Rudy Gay who do really great things for about eight years as tertiary guys. Cause it's like, that's a lot of talent there. You just have to figure out how to um, kind of phase it in. And Randall is, I bet film is a huge, like obviously every NBA player gets in the gym and Randall had a season where his pull up mid range, as far as like difficulty volume, it was like, Oh yeah, Julius Randall and Paul George are really good at this style of play. And then you double check and you're like, yeah. oh, one of these things might stick. I don't know about the other one. I'm really interested to see how he comports himself going forward. That's, I, I like that you said it's three different players. And he has to pick the best parts of each one probably exactly. and then find his game in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think there's a world where, you know, he if he could just buy in. I think if he does a lot of the little things like crashing the offensive glass, that was something he was really good at, especially in his younger years. You know, rolling again, but the Knicks, for some reason, they don't let their power forward screen. Um, that's another thing that I mentioned earlier with Obi. Their centers exclusively screen. But I think I think there's like, you know, low-hanging fruit for him to kind of find a role with 
the young Knicks as they grow and the addition of Brunson. So um, I'm kind of I'm a little optimistic because I think it's hard. I, I, I don't think he has too much talent to be that poor of a basketball player again, like he was last year. So I'm a little bit optimistic, but I am cautious at the same time. You used uh, the term strength creation when you were describing R.J. Barrett, and it just came into my mind. Are the Knicks the strength creation team in the NBA with Brunson, Randall, and Barrett? They Probably, might be. Probably, right? Yeah. yeah they might they're, be, all, yeah. they're all lefties, too. I don't yeah, know if the lefties there's... line up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's interesting, because Brunson, it's like there's tungsten in his feet, so he'll never lose a pivot point ever, and he can just oh, yes. like spin, get angles, wrap the elbow, push through. And, and Baird is always about like getting that, you know, getting that step, grinding the guy down, finding him to the rim. Randall, Randall is similar. I, I do like that you bring up Randall. Don't just impose your will as like a big creator, but just be big and imposing in all facets of offense. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think he'd benefit like with Pascal. Pascal does a lot of grab and go. Julius does grab and go, but it's like, it's like a grab and like, stroll he's not going like <laughs> <Grab very>, <laughs> yeah it's like he's very and that, that was another issue is that the Knicks offense is very slow um he grabbed the board and he kind of like walk it up and then he'd be with like RJ who's like running and Obi who's just running and and doesn't I think if he played faster he'd benefit from it um so that, that was just another little thing about trap that makes sense when you think about the the tiers of the the Eastern Conference I think the the consensus I've been hearing is that it's Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly. That's like a, a tier. Now, Donovan, there there are caveats to Donovan's place in in Cleveland, but also I, I wouldn't blame people for putting them into the top tier either. Are, do you find that the Raptors are close, or do you consider them firmly in the middle of the uh, of the Eastern Conference? I, put them I guess the you middle. could consider them in the bottom too, but I, you know. No, no, no. I'm not that low on the Raptors. I definitely think they're in the middle tier where, like, if a lot of things break right, they got a shot. But I think they're they're just about, like, a second-round team for me right now. Um, but it depends on the development of, like, a Scotty Barnes. Like, if he takes a huge lead, then, I mean, who knows? Um, but, yeah, they're kind of, like, in the fighting for home court, like, fourth seed to, like, sixth seed-ish. But I think they're firmly a playoff team, no doubt about it. Yeah. Barring so, injuries. Right. So you said if things break right, and that's that's a easy to say for a lot of teams and stuff like that. It's like things can always break right and then break bad for other teams. But when you think about the Raptors, what would be some examples of like things are really breaking right for this team? If you if you saw the Raptors in like an Eastern Conference Finals or in a top three seed winning maybe like 50, 52 games, what, what is happening in your mind on that team? Some of those end of the bench guys that are like intriguing but haven't really popped yet would take a leap. Like I'm thinking like a Malachi Flynn becoming like a very like putting his foot in the rotation and, and, and holding it down. Um they just drafted Christian Coloco. I think his rolling ability would help the offense a lot. Um and then I think a guy like Delano Banton, I think he's very intriguing. Um very interesting. He has some ball skills and he's also has the thing. I don't know if he's six eight, but he has the wing size. So one of those guys would have to like, you know, extend that rotation a little bit because I know that was an issue for the Raptors last year. And then I think it's just internal development. Does Gary Trent, you know, develop a little bit more on ball stuff? Does he get to the rim a little more? Fred Van Vliet, does he have a healthy year? Can he stay healthy throughout the throughout the playoffs? Um, Pascal taking another leap. Can you go from like that 20th to 25th best player to like 15th? 
Um, and then it's also very matchup dependent. Like I think of like the Hawks when they made their Eastern Conference run. Yeah, they went against the Knicks and they went against uh, the Sixers, who played both play a lot of drop, and that was kind of beneficial for Trey Young to kind of you know cook up a lot. And so I think it's a lot very matchup dependent and injury based, but it's also how much of a leap do those forwards take? Does OG continue to get the on-ball stuff going? The Scotty, what what does Scotty look like in year two? So those kind of things would all have to kind of work out in a sense. Do you do you watch basically every Knicks game? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, twice. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. So there was I can't remember if it was December tenth. It's between December tenth and December twentieth. Okay. Knicks played the Raptors. Scotty Barnes played a lot of drop in that game. Mm-hmm. Do you recall? Him. Give me a little bit more details. Continue with the story, and I'll tell you if I remember. So, Scotty, it was like a game where he had, I think it was like 13, 14 rebounds. The Raptors, it was really okay. low scoring. The Raptors maybe scored like 90 points. And, was it in uh, Toronto? I think it was in New York. Okay. Is that the game where OG went crazy? No, that was that was early, early season, I believe. Okay. That was like in November. Because the two Raptor games, I remember the one where OG went went crazy in the fourth quarter, especially. And then the second one is it was in Toronto. And I remember Quentin Grimes got a lot of minutes that game. And I've watched that game over a few times. Those are the only two. I don't remember the one you're talking about. So. Mm. Well, I was going to ask you, depending on how much Scotty Barnes you've seen, when you think uh, this is one of the, the big things. Like you can see when you go to my Twitter account, my pin tweet is like this, this deep dive into Scotty's game. And I love talking to scouts and I love talking to people who watch a lot of Scotty and say, like, how do you think this guy's going to develop? What do you want him to develop? And the answer is largely different for many different people, both in what they expect and what they'd like to see. So I'm curious if you have an opinion on if you want to like weigh in and be like, hey, I think Scotty should be this or try to be this. What would that be? Oh, man, he can go a lot of different directions, which is why this question is fun. Um I definitely think he'll be like a strength-based kind of creator. I think there will be creation juice there. Um, I, I'd like to see I like to see the on-ball stuff continue to develop. Um, I think he can be – it would be cool. I, I think one of the interesting things like I like to see is like guys who can like run a pick-and-roll and then also be the screener in a pick-and-roll, and I think he can be one of those few guys um, eventually, um, especially with the pull-up jumper being a lot better than I think most people thought it would be going into year one. Um, and I think some small ball five would be fun especially down the line when he gets, you know, a little bulkier and stuff. But I don't know. He's fun, man. I watch him play. I watched him against the Knicks, and he he's so versatile. Like, the versatility, that's what makes him special, in my opinion, is you can put him in any situation, and he'll be good in it. And I think projecting where he'll be in a few years, I don't know. I, I suck at projections, but I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Scotty, and, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on where, what do you think he would be, look, look like. Yeah, this I I when I did that deep dive into his game and was like, what the hell is happening in isolation yeah. here? He's incredible, given the initial opinion of his game coming out of the draft, and given what was said he would be good at the f- and and the Raptors having like cramped spacing quite often. The fact that mm-hmm. Scotty Barnes was doing bully drives repeatedly on good NBA defenders and winning those possessions, getting to his spots, hitting his shots and, and scoring like 15 plus points per game when many people thought maybe he'd score six between six and eight a game in his rookie season. 
you kind of have to sit back and reevaluate. Like, what does this look like? And the fact that his off-ball defense went from a weakness to a strength over the course of the season. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really seen... Now, he could he could go well past this, but in my mind, the floor of his game was like this transition menace, which is great, mm-hmm. a really strong off-ball defender who tries way too much at the point of attack. Man, he gets blown by all the time. The feet aren't quick enough, dude. Like, you're not a guard. I know he's aggressive, but, but a guy who's this tremendous defender off-ball can be like a dribble handoff hub on offense, but is also an isolation bucket getter for at least the first three quarters of a game. I don't have a comp in mind. That seems like a completely novel player. And that seems like a floor for him. Because as you say, you start developing the ball handling chops in the pick and roll, especially at his height, starting to make those down. Like you're coming in from 18 feet to 10 feet and that's your decision-making area, whether Mm -hmm. you're going to try and take on the big pop up a floater where the defensive rotations are coming from, what decisions you make at that height, that can get pretty hairy if you have the ball skills to allow you to, to succeed. So there's, there's a lot of different ways it can go, but I think I have an idea of the floor and the floor is still an insanely yes. fun player. Good player. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want people to get confused with you using the word floor as meaning like, yeah. like bad because that, that comes across a lot, but yeah, if, if that's his floor, his ceiling is well, yeah. Yeah. It's ceilings are fun because players almost never get there. Pascal Siakam seems like a ceiling guy. Yeah. You know, 27th overall. And when he came into the league, half of the skills you see currently weren't represented in his game. And so he just kept plucking away until he was between the 95th and 100th percentile version of whatever Pascal could be. And Scotty, when you look at the size, his inclinations to use contact, which, you know, some big guys don't do, but Scotty absolutely does. If ball skills come along with that meaningfully and and his read for the floor as a passer, you're just looking at an insane player. People mm-hmm. do Giannis, but uh, I understand why people do Giannis because like it's cool to make comps to the best player in the world. And there's <laughs> yeah. some bully ball stuff there. But Scotty, it's hard to imagine floor or ceiling another player looking like him. He's just he's he's novel. It's it's pretty he's cool very to unique. watch a player like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as the front court in New York. Mitchell Robinson just signed that new contract. It was famously involved in the the Donovan Mitchell stuff that didn't come to fruition. I'm curious what you make. We talked about Julius Randle, but the rest of the front court makeup in New York, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think they have a strong front court. Um, they have good NBA players on the bench as well, like OB, and they just signed Isaiah Hardenstein as well. Who oh, one of the right. Most- yeah. He's good. He's very he's, good. He's really good, yeah. Him. The analytics love him, but he's very good, very good passer, um, very good on defense, can switch out a little bit, can play in a drop. Um, I think he's going to be very good for the New York offense. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point where people are going to start hearing like little murmurs, like maybe he should be the starting center because he is that good. Um, but I do think what Mitchell Robinson brings on the offensive end, on the offensive glass, sorry, is very, um, I think he's one of the best rebounders in the league, period. Um he mans the paint on both ends, and I think he's one of the best rim deterrents in the NBA. You see a lot of guys see Mitchell Robinson in the paint, and they're like, all right, I might just have to dribble this right back out and look for something else. Um, 
But yeah, I think the front court is a pretty good strength of theirs. Um, again, Julius Randle, like we discussed, is the question mark there for me. Um, and Obi Toppin is a question mark in more of a positive sense in that I think we'll see him get more minutes, but it's hard to see where he gets those minutes if it's not at the expense of Randall. Um, Thibodeau in the two years where Randall and Obi have been in New York has been very reluctant to play those two together, even though the numbers have shown that they are pretty good together, especially the offensive end. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm interested to see how that shakes out because I think he has, Thibodeau has a lot of good options. Um, and there's also Jericho Sims, which I'm not sure if you're very familiar with. Yeah. Um, he's very intriguing, does a lot of interesting stuff. The athleticism is, is mind-blowing, jumps out the gym. And he does a lot of, like, weird things that are very good. Like, he has this very unique skill of, like, as soon as he grabs an offensive rebound, you wish he'd be a little more aggressive. But he's very good at finding shooters as soon as he grabs a board, like, almost instinctually. And Evan Fournier is someone who benefited a lot from that last year. So I'm I'm actually interested to see him get some more development. Mitchell Robinson usually misses a decent amount of games a year, so I'm sure Sims will get a chance at some point. But other than that, in terms of like trying new things, I wouldn't mind seeing RJ at the four in very specific situations. I think that could be fun. Has the strength, and he does have the size to do it against certain matchups. And another name to throw out there is Cam Reddish, um, who's also been in trade rumors. He is kind of an enigma. Um, there's some people who think he's this future All-NBA guy, and then there's others who think he needs to just take three-pointers and, and cut down on the mid-range jumpers and stick to his strengths. So there are a lot of question marks, but if it all plays out, it could it could work. Um, I'm relatively high on all those guys, except for maybe Cam and Julius. Um, but the other guys I've mentioned, I'm pretty I'm confident in their abilities to, to play winning basketball. It should be a really interesting year in New York, honestly. Yeah. And so I kind of want to talk about play style. You hit, you've brought up a couple of qualms you have, you know, with not having four sets like do pick and roll and uh, other certain aspects of the Knicks offense, defense, all that kind of stuff. But from the outside looking in, when you see, because last season when the Knicks were playing well, I was looking at, you know, how the, well, I guess not last season. The, the season they were the fourth season, I was looking at them and I was saying like, man, the way that they gap teams who are driving, I think is really great. Like that's a wonderful defensive wrinkle. And I, I didn't really have anything to complain about when I watched them. I didn't pick anything up. But have you picked anything up when you see the Raptors is like, oh, I wonder why they do this. And the Raptors do play very polarizing type of basketball that other just as somebody who covers the Raptors, I see other people remark upon it all the time. Like, why did they do this? Are you left with your hands up in the air watching the Raptors at all? They help off the corner a lot. Um more than anybody in the NBA. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, I haven't dove into it deep enough to have like a really strong opinion as if it's a good idea or a bad idea. But I watch them and I'm like, that's another corner three. That's another corner three. And it's it's interesting because that's one of the best shots in basketball. Um, that's one thing, but I do like their, their flexibility. Cause I do like that Nick nurse does like to try new things on defense. He'll gladly switch it up. And that's a very like polar opposite to the Knicks where Thibodeau is like 95% of the defense is always going to be in a drop and he's going to have a traditional center out there because he needs room protection. Um, he's very firm about that. And, uh, that's, and with the Knicks too, you mentioned the gap helps. They're very good at helping at the nail. Um, Quinn Grimes is someone who does it very well. I love watching him help at the nail. Gets a lot of forces, a lot of turnovers like that. Um, 
but yeah, those are kind of the, the play style I noticed from the Raptors is they give up a ton of corner threes. So just before we get out of here, because some Raptors fans will be familiar with it, some won't, but helping off the corner is because the Raptors, they're quite small at the rim. And they have this thing that uh, Henry Ward, who now is no longer in the public sphere as a commentator, but he called it democratic rim protection. And basically it's that anybody can guard the rim at any point in time. It, it, all people on the court are responsible for the front of that rim. And so honestly, in, in some cases they do peel switching, right? Where the guy pulls out of the corner and the guy following the drill penetration leaks out to the corner. They X out all the time. They do a ton of the in vogue European defensive schematic stuff. But the Democratic Rim Protection, they were in the top half of the NBA as far as limiting shots at the rim. Now, the the reason why they are this way is because they are by far the highest volume coming from the corners. And those two things are just a, a perfect correlation. It's like, this is why that exists. And there's no room for any other interpretation. They play basketball that way. And part of it is to encourage turnovers because they bring guys over so that they can get an earlier pickup point and so that mm -hmm. passes are longer and their length can get in passing lanes and stuff like that. And so there's less shots directly at the rim. The result of this was that Precious Achua, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Chris Boucher, basically everybody registered as a good rim deterrent by the like the NBA advanced tracking stats. They're like, yeah, guys yeah. are missing shots. But it's because they're all guarding it together. It's like this insane yeah. climb of guys coming to contest. And and um, the yeah, the other correlation, they give up a lot of offensive rebounds, dude. They are scrambling oh, yeah. everywhere. So the the corners and the offensive rebounds are where the Raptors have not figured out. Uh, those are the leaks in the scheme currently. Mm -hmm. I'm excited for next year to see if there's any ingenuity or shortcuts that the players on the team figure out. But yeah, that's kind of, you're seeing the correct thing there, by the way. Okay. Like you're you're bang on for sure. Okay. Yeah. It's good to see. No, yeah. I mean, I, I love that they're kind of playing to the strength because you mentioned like the length, they kind of just fly around and they get there. And I do think sometimes just having a guy there at the rim is sometimes all you really need, especially when you have that kind of length. Um, but yeah, that, that's interesting, man, because watching the Knicks is kind of polar opposite. They're very strict and, and their defense is very like, you know what you're going to get every single time. And it's very, it's very systematic and it's very strict. And I don't know, I sometimes think that they have the personnel to be a, a better switching team. Um, you don't really see it much from the Knicks. They do switch like one through three on this, on the perimeter, but Julius Randle is the perfect example of someone who he legit might be the worst drop defender in the league. <laughs> If you've ever seen him defend any possession in a drop, he literally just stands there with his hands down and he he has no interest in playing a drop. But if you see him on a switch, I don't know if it's like where he takes it personal or something, but I've seen him shut down Trey Young. I've seen him shut down Kyrie, like play great defense on Kevin Durant. So I think it's something that like I wish the Knicks would explore a little bit more because it's something that gets Julius more engaged on defense. And especially last year, that was a huge issue. But yeah, he, he might be the worst drop defender in the NBA. The switch engages the the dog in him button, and he's like, Literally. "Okay, I guess it's time to go." Yeah, it's time. Um, <laughs> for for anybody, you're speaking to Raptors fans mostly on this channel. But if you were trying to convince them to watch the Knicks this year, any parting shots you have to say, like, "Hey, there's some enjoyable basketball going on in New York." The Knicks have had 
especially in the past two years, they've had one of the best benches in the NBA. Um, as of right now, Derrick Rose is on the roster. And if he's on the roster, he's going to play because of his coach. And he and Emmanuel quickly have this great synergy where you will watch the first like eight minutes of a game and it's the Knicks starting lineup. And it feels very slow, the offense. And as soon as those two come in or either or, the flip kind of just switches and the pace just jumps. I should also include Obi Toppin and, and those two because it's it becomes a different basketball team and it's been this way for the past two years. And if if you ever watch a Nick game and you wonder why they won a the game, it's usually because the Knicks starting lineup was kept the game relatively afloat and then the bench just blew the other bench out of the water. And one thing that's an issue with the Knicks is their substitution patterns. It's a, we can get into that for the next 20 minutes, but I'll give you the the the, the Sparknotes version where Thibodeau is very strict in his rotations. Um, and you don't really see a lot of mixing and matching. So the, the bench unit usually comes in kind of like in a hockey style where it's five for five. And like, so you kind of know what to expect. And then the only lineup, the only lineup that has any real question marks is the closing lineup. And that's usually whoever the five that are playing well. Um, so in that sense, but watching those bench units, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of jokes on Twitter, like, oh, the next game started when the bench comes in, because that's <laughs> when the basketball gets exciting. So I point to the bench unit and I point to the young young guys growing. I mentioned them earlier, like Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin. Those are three very fun guys. They don't hold the ball. They're all very quick decision makers. Um, and I think their defense, too. I mean, the Knicks had a top half defense and their backcourt for most of it was Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker. They're one of the more exciting defensive teams um, because of that strictness that I mentioned earlier. They're very stout and everybody knows where to be. So that's what I would point to. Um, I do think people have their reserve reservations about watching Nick games because they watch the beginning and it's very slow and it's very methodical and not in a good sense. Um, so yeah, I'd point to the, to the young guys boosting up the, the, the bench units. It's very fun to watch. And if they want to watch the Knicks games, obviously they want to follow you. So feel free to plug yourself before we get out of here. Uh, you can just follow me on Twitter at apacheco mba. If you don't know how to spell it, it's right there under my under my face. Um, just follow me there. I usually do like these rewatches after Nick games where just kind of break down plays that I thought were interesting or, or things that stood out, whether it's like development or oh look, they did they tried this new thing on defense. So yeah, just follow me on Twitter at apacheco mba. All right. You heard it there, folks. A Pacheco, NBA. Uh, Ariel, thanks for coming on, man. It's been an absolute blast. I learned a lot about the Knicks. Yeah, I I hope the the listener did as well. And it's I've been very heartwarmed by the amount of people who had, you know, like they've obviously been paying attention to the Raptors. It's cool to know that your team is in the, I guess, the consciousness of NBA fans because they're interesting. That's the that's the the fun part about having an interesting team. But yeah. listener, thanks for tuning in, uh, whether on YouTube or on the podcast channel. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been the Knicks episode. Many more to come. God, it's hard putting all these together. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, take care, uh, and we'll see you.